We're very grateful for the presence of everyone today. The only thing that I dislike about these meetings that are Friday, Saturday, Sundays, it seems like I just got here, <laughs> and uh, I'm about ready to go home. But I appreciate the opportunity, uh, being able to be here with you, and I, I hope that the series of, of lessons that we've looked at and the studies that we've done have been helpful to you. I hope that you'll be able to take these things with you, and uh, I pray that for today as well. We've talked about Friday evening and, and Saturday, the fact that we serve a holy God. We serve the creator of heaven and earth, and as such, he has drawn us to him through Jesus Christ, and he has made us his children. And as his children, God has called us not to just be better than the world, but to be holy as God is holy. Last night we talked about in that calling that God has called us to be temperate, that he's call, called us to uh, exhibit self-control in every area of our life. So we've talked about the fact we need holiness, that we need to change, and today we're going to talk a little bit about how. And as we talk about godliness today, you might think, well, you skipped patience. We're going to talk about that this afternoon, Lord willing. Uh, but the reason I chose to talk about godliness first is because I think that the two lessons that we've already talked about will flow into this one. And uh, I appreciate the reading of the morning, and, and you, uh, we haven't really looked at verses 9 and 10 uh, on the last couple of evenings, but there's very important principles that are taught to us in those verses that, friends, the, the very fact is if we don't grow, if we aren't diligent, we will fall away. And we may not think that there's a, any danger of that happening, but the truth is we're either growing or we're dying. We're becoming weaker or we're becoming stronger. And we can ignore all of the things that God wants us to do. And in ignoring those things, eventually it will cause us to depart from God. Going back to 2 Peter chapter 1 just for a moment and kind of recapping some of the verses that we read earlier. Peter writing said, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These virtues or graces that we've been talking about are what I would say components that lead us and lend themselves to us becoming more like Christ. Because these are the very things that Jesus exemplified in his life. He perfected every one of these things. He was the stamp or the express image of God's person. And in that, Jesus was holy. Can you think of living your life never making a mistake? I can't even remember the first time I made a mistake. I remember when my kids made mistakes. I don't remember what I did. Jesus lived his life to perfection. He was perfect in every single area of life. He was perfect in godliness. Now, godliness is one of those terms that, that we read and we, we probably have some concept of and it it, it sometimes it, it seems sort of ambiguous. What is godliness? And so uh, I'm going to give you the Greek definition, which is just simply piety. And that's doesn't really help me a whole lot. Um, but I want to give you, and I, I, I'm not giving you Webster's as an authority, but I want to give you the definition of piety from Webster's Bible Dictionary because I think it's helpful in this particular instance. Webster's defines piety in principle as a compound of veneration or reverence of the supreme being and love of his character or veneration accompanied with love. Now, if you're like me, the word veneration didn't help much either. But the word veneration means the highest degree of honor that you could give a person. That's what it means. So if you look at what he says here, he's simply saying that godliness is when our honor and our fear and our love of God all come together. It's a combination of those things. Now that's the principle of godliness. And he, then he defines it in practice 
as the exercise of these affections, that is honor, love, and fear, in obedience to his will and devotion to his service. That's really not that earth-shaking, is it? We know this, don't we? That God expects us to obey him because we honor him, because we fear him, because of our love for him. And we see this taught all throughout scripture, don't we? When Solomon wrote his letter of Ecclesiastes, he said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. So here we have the principle that works the practice, don't we? Fear God and keep his commandments. In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Here again, a principle of godliness that leads to the practice. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, or 5 and verse 3, John writing says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now I want to stop just for a moment right here. And, uh, and I want to give you kind of a disclaimer. Um, we talked about fear Friday night. We talked about the fact we need to fear God. And we're not going to talk about that this morning. Uh, but we're going to talk about love. And here's why I want to focus our attention today as we look at godliness on the aspect of love. Because I think there's certain things that motivate certain people, but there's always uh, an attitude uh, that's attached to those motivating factors too. And I'll give you an example with my kids. Um, My son is 13. He's a good boy. But I will tell you, most of the time he only does what I tell him to because he believes I will murder him if he doesn't. He'll do it. But if I say, son, I need you to go to do this, he'll go, oh, it's a burden. I've got a 10-year-old girl, though, and she's my compliant child, and there's challenges with that, too. But she loves her daddy. And I can say, Kennedy, would you go get me a bottle of water? And she'll say, sure, dad. And she'll just get up and go bring it to me, and she'll hand it to me with a smile. And I'll say, thank you. And she'll say, you're welcome. And she doesn't do that because she thinks I'm going to spank her, I'm going to punish her if she doesn't go get me water. She just does it because she loves her dad. And I find myself in this position with my heavenly father at times where I I know that I need to do something and I just go, and I don't like that. (laughs) Because I don't think that's what God really expects of me. Friends, when we're motivated by our love for the Father, we obey His commands, and they're not a burden. They're not grievous to us. We do those because we honor Him, because of who He is. Jesus would say in Mark chapter 10, or 12, Jesus answered, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A man came to Jesus and he said, what's the greatest commandment? You know, there were a lot of commandments given to the law of Moses. And he said, what's the greatest? What's the one that would overarch every other command? And Jesus said this one. This is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God. And then we kind of just pass by all these things that he says after that. We just say, well, that's, that's love God with all of yourself. And I think to some extent that's very true, but do you suppose there's a reason why Jesus named four distinct parts of man? Why didn't you say, love God with all yourself? Why did he say your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? And I think the answer to this will help us understand where true change really comes from. Now, how many of us here today are aware of things that we need to change in life? And I'll just raise my hand because I'm going to tell you, there's things that I know I need to change. How many of us want to change those things? Every day, right? But you know what's frustrating? I'll tell you what frustrates me. is when I know I need to change something, I'm perfectly aware of it, and I want to change that, and I don't change. That is frustrating. And they kind of become a part of your life, and then they become attached to your personality, and it's been this problem that's been there for a real long time, and we know it's there, but we just kind of sweep it under the rug and go about life. Because we really haven't figured out how to change that. And that's frustrating, 
And it's a cycle that is discouraging. Why does that happen? You know, the first thing we need to understand about godliness is godliness is not a bottle that God opens up and pours out on all of our heads. That there's effort that's going to have to be made on our part if we're going to add godliness to our life. Paul writing to Timothy says, But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So he introduces an idea here that probably most of us are familiar with but maybe don't like, and that's the word exercise. And uh, I don't exercise near enough. I, I walked into Matt and Connie's house the other night, and I walked in the gym, and I thought, well, this is convicting. <laughs> because I know I need exercise. Exercise is very good for us. Um, but, you know, I think we all understand whether you exercise or not, you know how it works, right? Now, uh, I have pretty successfully avoided all things sugar this weekend uh, until Brother Eddie opened up a box of the old-style cake donuts at the, in the foyer this morning, and I ate one, and it was very good. Now, I don't want to make that a habit, because I know it'll happen if I make that a habit, but let's say I do make it a habit, and every day I go down to the donut shop, and I buy me a donut, and I eat a donut, and I think, well, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't need to do this. I, I need to be in better shape. So instead of going down to the donut shop, I go buy a, do a dozen donuts, and I go sit down at the gym because I buy a gym membership, and I sit there, and I eat my donuts, and I watch everybody work out. And I say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to just quit eating donuts, and I'm going to go purchase a gym membership, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to sit, and I, I'm just going to observe and watch everybody else exercise. And what's happened? Nothing. And the point is this, you can't do the same things you've done and just go to the place where spiritual people are, where you're seeing other people, they're living godly lives, and expect for that somehow to just rub off on you. You've got to exercise yourself unto godliness. It's going to take effort. You know the thing about exercise is exercise has to be pointed. It has to be focused. You know... Uh, I used to go to the gym quite a bit, and I would see guys in there that were lifting weights. And, and if you know anything about lifting weights, there's always the guys that are funny in the gym because they have no clue what they're doing. But, but that's not their fault. They just don't know. But they'll grab a curl bar or something, and their whole body's moving, their head's swinging around, and they're throwing this curl bar up, and, their whole, and you just go, poor guy, you know, you're going to injure yourself, and you're not doing yourself any good. And the reason why is because if you're really going to get the benefit of exercise, you have to do what's called muscle isolation and focus on one part of your body and focus. And I think we get overwhelmed. That's what happens a lot of times. We go, you know, I know I need to be a more godly person. I know there's things I need to change in life, so I'm just going to start changing. And we don't really identify what we need to change or work on a specific area of life. We just get overwhelmed, and our whole life doesn't change, and we just go, well, this is just too hard, and I just quit. The other thing I don't like about exercise, you've got to do it over and over and over, and you can't stop. Because <laughs> the minute you stop, you're just going to fall back into that old unfit person. Does that give us an idea about godliness? I think it should. It should wake us up a little bit and say, look, I, I have to make effort, and I can't stop. Godliness is not an event. It's a commitment for our life. It's going to be something we're going to have to do for the rest of our lives if we really want it to affect us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's two different ideas here that I want us to look at. One is the word conformed, the other is transformed. And he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, be changed, be metamorphosized, we would say. By renewing. The word renewing, which, we, we, which I said the other night, we talk about a little more today. The word renewal literally means to renovate. And this is something that I'm familiar with in my life because I'm a fourth generation carpenter. And uh, I've learned that when I get up in the morning and I, I walk into the living room, if my wife is in there and she's watching HGTV, I just need to sit down and drink my coffee and shut up. 
because what those people do on the television drives me crazy. And she finally just got tired of me sitting there going, they're not doing that right. There's no way they could do that in that amount of time. Why are they doing it? She just, would you just be quiet? I'm trying to watch this show. <laughs> but the way I was taught to renovate was very different from what I see on TV. And we didn't, dad never just walked in and said, son, we need to take this wall out. Here's a sledgehammer. Now just go swing away. You know what he did? He said, son, here's a wonder bar. Here's a pry bar. Go start pulling the nails out of that sheetrock and carefully remove it from the wall. We're going to take that wall out. It was less of a demolition and more of a surgical procedure. And you know why? Because you never know what's in a wall. You might have electrical lines in there, plumbing lines, gas lines. You don't know what's in the wall. So you've got to be careful about trying to take out too much. And that's a big part of renovation is removal. But there's not just a removal. There's also a fixing. There's an adding in of what's better. You know, this is the same principle we see taught in Scripture. Put off and put on. Put off that which is corrupt through the deceitful lust. Put on what? Holiness. All godliness. Put that on. It's a renovation. And friends, if you get overwhelmed, you take a sledgehammer and just go to swing in at your life, you may take out more than you need. So it's going to take precision. Let's go back to Jesus' words for a minute. And I want us to think about the aspects of life that Jesus spoke of, the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength, and how that relates to the idea of renovation. And, and here's where I want you to connect those two things in your mind. Because Jesus didn't just say, hey, I want you to love God with your heart. He said, I want you to love God with all of your heart. With all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You know what the truth is for me? When I don't change things in my life, it's because either there's a part of my heart, my soul, my strength, or my mind that I'm holding back. I haven't given that part of myself to God. I've held that back to myself. And that's why it doesn't change. The word heart that's translated here, heart, is the Greek word cardia. And it's just like our word cardio. Which things pertaining to the heart. And it means the feelings and affections of man. And I know sometimes we, we get all icky feeling when we talk about feelings. Or we think, oh no, feelings are bad. Well, feelings are a bad guide in life. But friends, Jesus said, love God with all of your feelings and affections. Love him with your feelings and affections. Jesus said, love with all your soul. And that's the Greek word suke, which is sometimes translated heartily, uh, like do it heartily is under the Lord, the word suke, your whole self with everything you've got. Uh, I would say it, it often infers the inner man. It's who you are. It's who you truly are. It's yourself. Then there's the word mind, which is the Greek word dianoi, uh, which means your deep thoughts. And even though we may not think everybody has deep thoughts, everybody does. <laughs> there's that level of thinking that we call maybe meditation, where we are thinking deeper than just surface level. It's what you give your mind to. It's what you think about. And then there's the idea of strength, which means forcefulness or driven by force. You know what that is, what that literally is? It's where you put your time and your attention and your effort, your strength. And if we could summarize the idea of what Jesus is saying here, it, the completion of godliness is giving our whole self in total commitment to obedience, to the love and fear of God. So, let's talk about the heart for a minute. You know the heart's a funny thing? I say it's a funny thing because if you're not careful, your heart can just go to any place. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, my wife bought me a t-shirt last year in jest and on this t-shirt it says I love one woman and then under it it says and several guitars and it's got all these guitars on there and if you walk into my office I've got these hangers in my office and there's a guitar on each one of those hangers and sometimes people will come over and the kids will run in there and, and they'll pick one of the guitars up off the floor and they're like oh don't touch that and I'm like it doesn't matter it's just a guitar let them play with it doesn't matter and then Every now and again, one of them climbs up on the couch, and they reach up and try to grab one off the wall. I'm like, oh, don't touch that. That's... And they all have names. 
You know what? That's silly. That's just silly. But see, I spent enough time with these things and, and thought about them so much that they became valuable in my life. They became a treasure to me. And you know what the problem is? When it's not an object anymore and it's a treasure, it gets my heart. And it's just like guys that are car guys. We give it a name, and it's not a guy's name, it's a girl's name, and it becomes very precious, doesn't it, valuable. The Bible says it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, I believe everybody is being truthful. We want to change, don't we? That is our desire. We don't want to be the person that we are sometimes. We don't want to live the life that we live sometimes. We want to change. But you know there's a big difference in wanting to change and being determined to change. He says it's God who works in you both to will, not to want or desire, but to will and to do for his good pleasure. I remember years ago, uh, I got really into blues music, and I, I'm going to go back to guitars for a minute because that's been familiar to me. And I, I told my wife, I said, I saw this guitar, and I know the one I want, and we're going to go look at them. So we went down, and we were looking at guitars, and the guitar I wanted was a, was a Gibson 335. And I'm telling you, this thing was beautiful. It was beautiful. And so, you know, you get it down off of the off the rack and play it, and it's just the one you want, and, and then I... Turned around and I looked at the price tag and I went, oh my goodness, let's go put this thing back up. (laughs) And I didn't bring it home. That was the one I wanted though. I really wanted that one. You know what I ended up doing? I ended up buying an Epiphone that looks similar to this but is not that great for $299. Even though that's really not the one that I wanted and it just hangs up on the wall. (laughs) I wanted it. But I didn't will it. Because you won't will something unless you're going to pay the cost. And sometimes there's a big price tag that's attached to change. You know, Jesus talked to a man at one point that came up to him and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you think this man wanted eternal life? I do. I think that was his desire. And so Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And he says, well, which ones? And Jesus named some of the commandments. And this guy says, well, teacher, all these things have I kept from my youth. And I think at this point he probably thought, you know, this conversation's going pretty good. I want to know what to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus gave me the answer, and I've already done that. And then Jesus said this, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. He was just like me. He looked, he saw something he wanted, he wondered what it would take to get it, and then he saw the price tag. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know the problem with this man? He had treasures that had nothing to do with God. Jesus gave a parable at one point where he said, The kingdom of God is likened to a merchant man. Seeking goodly pearls, which when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What's the most important thing in your life? What do you treasure? Friends, is it the kingdom of God? See, the, the point of the parable was this. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God is so valuable that if you took everything that you own and you sold it for this possession, it'd be worth it. It has that much value. The truth is, salvation in Jesus Christ is free. Salvation's free. But friends, change is not. Change is not. Jesus taught the opposite. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to change. You're going to have to sacrifice certain things if you really want to change. And if you're going to give your heart to God, that means you may have to stop treasuring some things that you treasure in life that you think are important, and that could be a very steep price. Do you really want to change? 
Are you willing to change? Let's talk about the soul for a minute. And uh, I'm going to come at this from a little bit different angle because as I think about, you know, this idea of the inner man and who we are, there's, there's certain things that we attach to that about our personality and our characteristics. And, and if, I'm, if I'm just going to be frank with you, there's parts of myself I don't like. <laughs> I just do not like those parts of myself. And so I, I don't want everybody to see those. And, and that's kind of our tendency, isn't it? We want everybody to know all the good things and don't know any about the bad things. We try to shield those things, but here's the truth about us and change. We have to come to the light. If you really want to change, you've got to come to the light. And God's word is said to be a light. It's a lamp to the feet. It's a light to the path. It shows me things. Shows me where I'm at. Shows me where I'm going. Shows me how to get there. It's a light for us. And friends, we need the light. You need the light in your life. The Bible says examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? And there's something very interesting about human tendencies. And human tendency says if there's something physically wrong with me, I'm going to go to the doctor. And I'm going to ask that doctor, hey, look, there's something's not right in my life. I don't feel right. I I feel weak or whatever. I'm in pain. You know, fix me. Tell me what's wrong and fix me. And so they start running tests and, and they'll come out of those tests and they'll say, well, we haven't really identified the problem yet. And you go, well, you got any more of them tests? Because there's something still wrong. We may need to run more tests. And we may even pay them to run tests that are useless trying to figure out what's wrong because we become desperate when something's wrong in our life. And then somebody comes up to us and says, you know, I've noticed a spiritual weakness and you don't want to talk about it. We go, don't you judge me. Don't you tell me about what's wrong with me. Don't you tell me how to live my life. Mind your own business. And why is that? Why are we so concerned about our physical self, which is going to die, and not worried about our soul, which is going to be immortal, which is immortal? We put too much emphasis on the wrong part of ourselves. You know, the truth is examination, daily examination, constant examination is a good thing in our life. And the only way that we're really going to see ourselves is if we run the tests. If we go to God's word and we look into that mirror and we let the light shine on our life. You know what Jesus said about the light? He said, everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The truth is, the parts of me that I don't want you to see because I don't want to bring the light are the parts that are evil. The parts I don't like and I know shouldn't be there. And those are the parts we hold back. Those are the parts we don't bring to the light. Those are the parts that get ignored. John said this in 1 John 1 and 7. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All three of my children were afraid of the dark. I guess I was too. I can remember a time we had a basement at my grandparents' house that that had no windows and when you'd turn the light off, oh, it was scary. (laughs) I don't think there's any shame in that. I mean, darkness is a scary thing, isn't it? But you know what's shameful? What's truly shameful? Not when we're afraid of the dark, but when we're afraid of the light. When men are afraid of the light, that's shameful. Because we all need the light. You know what he means by walking the light? Now, this isn't all that he means by walking the light, but there's a contrast that he paints in this chapter about walking in darkness and walking in light. And here's the difference. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, versus if we confess our sins. One person tries to shield their, their, their bad deeds and keep them concealed in the darkness and not let those things be exposed. The other person is walking in the light, walking with Jesus, and as a result of that, there's an acknowledgement of sin. Because unless we acknowledge our sins, they just get pushed under the rug and ignored and nothing ever happens, no change ever comes. 
Psalms 139 and 12 says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You know what? God doesn't need the light. (laughs) He doesn't need the light. The Bible says that all things are naked and open unto unto him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4.13. God sees everything. He doesn't need the light. You need the light. I need the light. And friends, that means you've got to bring every single part of yourself to the light for examination. Every part, even the parts that you don't like. I want to go back to Romans 12 for a minute and focus our attention on a different part of that verse where he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about renovation with me just for a moment again and about the idea of cutting off and putting on. Have you ever thought... It's kind of ironic to use that. Have you ever thought that there are things in your mind that need to be removed? Sure you have. Surface thinking, right? But what about those deep thoughts? What about those world views? What about those fundamental beliefs that you've always had? Have you ever considered that maybe some of those aren't good for us? You say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> You know, there's things growing up that I just always thought were the right thing. They were just, they were right. And then as I got older and older, I started realizing that I was totally wrong about those things. And I'm sure there's still things in my mind that need to be renovated. And there's things that I think back through life and I I look at the things I was taught, the things that I learned, and there's still going to be some things that need to be renovated, need to be removed. Why? Because they're against the knowledge of God. And we only know our minds, so we all think we're right at all times, right? (laughs) Revisiting 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from the other evening, Paul said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now listen closely. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you know where the battleground is, where the war is? It's right here. This is where the war is. This is where the battle is. It's right here, between your ears and your mind. The highlighted phrase up on the screen, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know what that is? That's when me and my wisdom and my opinion tries to exalt itself above God's knowledge and says you know what my ways are better my thoughts are better I'm going to do it my way and the ironic thing about that is the the real key to wisdom (laughs) he says let no one deceive himself if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age let him become a fool that he may become wise and you know what the first step to wisdom is for everybody to admit I'm not wise That's how to be wise. Start there. I'm not wise. And the reason for that is because when I've got all the answers and I'm the smartest person in the room and I'm the smartest person in the town and I know everything there is to know about everything, I'm never going to learn anything because I've already got all the answers. If you esteem yourself as wise, friends, you're never going to learn. Let him become a fool that he may be wise. You know, Michael came to me last night about something that I said in a sermon, and I, when he first told me that, I thought, well, you're just wrong about that. I'm right about that, and you're wrong about that. And I said, I'll go think about that. And I went and thought about it, I thought, well, I'm wrong about that. Michael's right about that. <laughs> but there's this tendency within us, that pride that says, well, I already got the answer to that. And I don't need your help or your assistance, and I don't need you to tell me where I'm wrong, because I'm already right. Heard a guy say one time, he said, I haven't changed anything in a long time. Well, is that a virtue? (laughs) I'm consistent. (laughs) Maybe consistently bad. The truth is, all of our minds in some area need renovation. There's things that don't belong there that need to be pulled out. There's things that aren't there that need to be put in. And you know, some of those things become fundamental views their roots run very deep in our mind 
And this is a big one. This is just who I am. And you really can't change who you are. Now, we know this exists in the world, but I'm going to tell you it exists in the mind of a lot of God's people. They say, well, yeah, you can change what you do and you can control yourself at times, but you can't really change who you are. Yes, you can. And not only can you, you should. Not only should you, God commands us to change who we are. He's not just about us changing what we do. He's about changing the inner man. And changing the heart and changing the way we think. Changing the way we perceive things. And we make excuses for each other. I've done it. I remember one time someone very close to me was standing with me and we were having a conversation. A guy that I knew walked up and, and he says, oh, hey, how are you? And I said, oh, hey, this is my brother. And, and, and he starts talking to the guy and, and then the guy walks off and he goes, man, he's kind of harsh, isn't he? I said, oh, you just got to get to know him. He's just that way. Or we say, well, that, that's just his personality. Well, have we considered maybe that their personality just stinks? Just stinks. You, you may not like my personality, and, and I'm sorry if you don't, but I will guarantee you, if you would have met me at 23 years old, you would have hated my personality. You would have hated it. And why is it that we get so upset when someone says, be true to yourself, and then we make excuses for ourselves and say, well, that's just part of who I am. That's my personality. That's, just deal with it. It's the same thing. Our personality may need to be different. We may need to change our mind, even those deep thoughts. Because, see, God hasn't called you to be true to yourself, and he hasn't called you to be who you are. He's called you to be like him. Be ye holy as I am holy. You know, another one that probably makes us cringe is, well, that's what I believe. And it's very closely associated with something that probably really makes us cringe, and that's this phrase that's come out in the last few years of, well, that's my truth. Do you like that? That's my truth. And what we say, we say, well, there's no such thing as my truth. There's just the truth. And that's true. <laughs> but we kind of throw this trump card out if you've ever played spades. The guy that gets the ace of spades when you're dealing, you know, it gets handed to him. And if he doesn't have a good poker face, you see him, he goes. Because he knows I'm winning at least one hand. Because <laughs> I got the card of all cards. And what happens is we will read God's word. Or someone will study with us from God's word. We'll find out something in our life that maybe isn't right. And we go, well, that's just not what I believe. So I win. Because that's not what I believe. You know what the Bible says about that? Paul says, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Let God be true and every man a liar. You can believe something that's contrary to God's word, but at the end of the day, you'll be wrong and God will be right. And what you believe is not going to change what's true. And just saying, well, I just don't believe that. Well, that does nothing except for cause you to go backward. Friends, you've got to open up your mind and consider the fact, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe my ways are not going to work because they haven't been working so far. If there's things we need to change and we've tried our ways, well... It's not working. Maybe there's a better way. We've got to change our mind. And you know what else we've got to do? We've got to change our strength. Going back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, even though repentance and the totality of repentance is not behavior modification, it's certainly necessary. And sometimes your heart's not going to change, your mind's not going to change until you start changing what you do. That's the way exercise is. You don't become fit and gain all the knowledge about exercise until you get a little bit of experience, until you get in and get your hands, do some hands-on, right? God expects you to do it. In fact, that's where the blessing is. Because we could sit here and we could talk about how to change and we could talk about what we needed to do. But until we start doing, nothing changes. James chapter 1 
25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is, and, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Where's the blessing at? Is it in the knowing? Is it in the hearing? No, he said it's in the continuing in it, which involves doing. Not just hearing, but doing. Jesus said in John 13 and 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You know, we can get real comfortable and maybe a little prideful sometimes and think, well, you know what, I know a lot about God's Word. And I can go tell people about God's Word and I can tell people what they should do and how they should live and I know all the the answers. (laughs) And it does us no good if we just know those things and don't do anything about it. And the truth is, if you're going to change, you're going to have to do some things that are uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable. Exercise is uncomfortable. If it's not, you're not doing it right. It's uncomfortable. And I'll tell you, the, one of the biggest things that's uncomfortable is when you realize that to change, you have to put your strength in a different area than in these toxic and ungodly relationships. I had made a lot of friends from between the age of 18 and 23. And, uh, you know, in some ways I'm sad to say that none of those people are my friends today. In some ways I'm not sad that those people are not my friends today. Because I loved those people. I loved every one of them. I had an affection for them. They had my heart. I think about them still. But I tell you, they were not good for me. And the thing is, you can't be in a relationship with someone and their character not affect your character. Because relationships are completely reciprocal. There's always, not just give, but there's give and take. And if you're around somebody and you're willing to be around somebody, you know what? That person oftentimes will reflect what you view as right. You say, well, what do you mean by that? If someone feels pressured by a relationship to change it as something they aren't willing to be, they'll end the relationship. We noticed that the other evening, didn't we, from John chapter 6. What happened with those people? They loved following Jesus. They loved experiencing the miracles. They loved hearing his words until they heard something they didn't like. And they walked away. Thousands of people walked away from Jesus. Because he told them something that they were not willing to hear and certainly weren't willing to be. And Jesus looked at his disciples to the twelve and he said, Are you going to leave too? You know what Peter said? Where would we go? (laughs) To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe that you're the Christ. We need you. We need this relationship. This relationship is not expendable. We have to have this relationship. But if we feel like a relationship is expendable, we just cut ties, don't we? Now, I don't often put things word for word on the screen, but I want to read this word for word because it's a little wordy, but I want you to think, and I'm going to read it kind of slow because I have to think slowly. If a relationship is molding you, into something you don't want to be. But you refuse to end that relationship. The reality is you are willing to be what you don't want to be because you value the toxic relationship more than your relationship with God. I know that stings. But friends, it's true. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth I came to bring a sword and that may mean that you have to sever relationships with your parents with your children what relationship could you think of that would be more important than that one and Jesus said you may have to cut them off you may have to cut them off they may be toxic You say, well, what's a toxic relationship? Well, a toxic relationship is not where I'm influencing someone for the good of Christ and I'm helping them. 
A toxic relationship is when their negative influence is affecting me in a negative way and pulling me away from God. And there's a big difference in that because people say, well, Jesus hung around with sinners all the time. He didn't hang out with sinners. He wasn't living vicariously through what they were doing, and he wasn't encouraging or enabling them or creating a safe haven for them to continue in sin. Jesus was trying to influence them. And that's the way influence works. The Bible tells us this. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We think, well, I'm above the influence. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not above the influence. No, none of us are. I'll tell you where I learned this. Uh, My grandfather uh, is 91 years old, and he's one of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. And uh, several years ago, when he was still working as a carpenter, I guess several, it's been many years ago, when he was still working as a carpenter, he would go every day down to the lumber yard and he'd drink coffee before he got, went, went, and got, uh, went to work. And uh, some of these guys at the lumber yard were crass. Uh, they would say things that would make a sailor blush. And uh, my dad and my grandfather were in the lumber yard one day and they were standing around talking and my grandfather said something that made my dad's head about spin off his neck and he grabbed a hold of my grandfather's arm and he walked him over to the side and he said, do you realize what you just said? And he said, what did I say? And he told him and he goes, I didn't say that. And he says, yes, you did. And you know what my grandfather quit doing? He quit going to the lumberyard every morning because he was an elder of the church. And he knew God's people shouldn't talk that way. And he realized there's an influence here that is hurting me and changing me into something God doesn't want me to be. And he cut it off. None of us are immune. Any one of us can be influenced negatively. But you know that the opposite is true too. Any one of us can be influenced in a godly way the same way. The Bible says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will will be destroyed. If you really want to change, go find somebody that's already living that change, somebody you see who's living in godliness and have a relationship with them. Be friends with them. I don't just like my brethren. I need them. I need every one of you. It strengthens us. It encourages us. That's why it's so important that we're together. Why did God call us together? Because we're better together. We're stronger together. The sum of the whole is greater than its individual parts. Friends, we need one another, and you need godly influences in your life. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. I want to go back to the idea of exercise for a moment as we look at this verse, as we start to wind down our thoughts. Paul says, Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now I have a tendency, and maybe, maybe you share in this tendency, I don't know, but my tendency is uh, I become aware of a problem, I identify the problem, I go, you know what, I'm going to do better on this, I'm going to change this, and for about two weeks I do real good, but it's not happening quick enough, and I just go, oh, this isn't working. <laughs> this is not working, so we'll just fall back into that old way how many times have you ever started an exercise regimen and you worked out for about two weeks and you worked out for about four weeks and you went you stepped on the scale and you went really that's it well this isn't working at all don't get weary don't get discouraged while doing good We develop these habits over years and years and years. Do we think they're going to change in the matter of minutes? It's going to take time. But he says there's a season, there's a due season where we're going to reap a harvest from what we sow. Give it some time and don't quit. And the reason why this is so important is because these problems that we have that we become familiar with these little what we call vices and weaknesses aren't just vices and weaknesses they're sinful and these sinful things can trap us Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 he says let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us I was watching this movie one time and there was this damsel in distress and these soldiers 
were chasing her through this very thick wooded forest. And, uh, you know, it was really intense. The music was intense. It kept cutting scenes, and, and swords would hit trees, and arrows would come just, you know, narrowly pass by her head. And, and she finally gets out, in the, out of the woods and gets to the middle of this meadow where there's this clearing. And uh, she looks around, and there's nobody around, and she just breathes this, you know, sigh of relief. <sighs> finally, I'm away. And she turns around to go the other way, and there's a soldier. And so she very quickly turns and goes to run the other way, and there's another soldier. And then here in a minute, they've got her surrounded, and she's done for. That's what the word ensnares literally means. It means to thwart someone. It means to trap somebody. I'm going to change, I'm going to do better, I'm going to get this sin out of my life. And then we say, well, I'm going to get more active in the kingdom of God, but we really didn't get the sin out of our life. And we try to go, we try to be useful in the kingdom, and we're walking this way, and there's that sin. And so we try to go another way, and there's that sin. Friends, you've got to get the sin out of your life. Because the more and more effort you put into this tree that we call sin, the more you water that, the more you put time and effort and resources into it, the more it spreads in every single aspect of your life. Because you know why our heart gets invested in something? Because that's where we put our time. That's where we put our resources. And when it gets your heart, then you can't stop thinking about it. Because it's got you. And it's no longer this small problem, this weakness, this vice. It's a sin that is the forefront of your vision. And everywhere you go, there it is. Friends, we can change. We can change through the power of God, but we have to commit our whole self to Him. Every part of ourself, devote every part of ourself to loving God. Do you need God's help this morning? Maybe you've got sin in your life, sin that is thwarting you, sin that is secret that nobody else knows about but you. Well, we don't want you to come and tell us all your dirty secrets. But I will tell you, the answer is to come to the light. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you have sin that needs to be cleansed this morning? Friends, come to the light. Come now as we stand and we sing.